Worm is a web serial by J.C. McRae, also known as Wildbow. You can read Worm in its original format by visiting parahumans.wordpress.com or donate to Wildbow's Patreon at patreon.com wildbow. This story isn't intended for young or sensitive readers. Readers who are on the lookout for trigger warnings are advised to give Worm a pass. For a complete list, check the description for all of Worm's trigger warnings. Welcome. Good morning, Brockton Bay. <laughs> and welcome to our first full episode of the Brockton Bay Book Club. We had our little introduction episode, but now we're actually getting into the book itself, Worm. And uh, we'll be discussing the first arc, Gestation, uh, which uh, covers a bit. Uh, and so, uh, Hannah, do you want to break down sort of really quickly sort of the a uh, short summary. Yeah, of yeah. So, arc one. arc one is gestation, and um, we open on Taylor, uh, our protagonist, uh, her home and school life. Touch a little bit on um, her powers, um, her swarm, and her first night out as a hero, um, ending with a lovely interlude at the end of the arc, um, told from her father Danny's perspective, which gives us a little bit more exposition of kind of the history of the world as capes have been introduced to it um kind of where he's coming from as a father worrying about taylor and uh some a little bit more of an insight into her background um and difficulties that she's had at school ending with taylor returning home and that finishes up arc one gestation all right fantastic let's go ahead uh we're not going to do anything too structured here but just sort of let's get some quick first thoughts on the arc um it's Six chapters plus the interlude, but it's it's pretty short, relatively speaking. So just sort of in general, uh, kind of uh, initial thoughts, start of the story, how invested in are you already, that kind of thing. Um, let's just go down my list here. So Taylor. All right, all right. So once again, um, just to reiterate, um, I am one of the two people that has not read this before. So I just want to make that very clear. So jumping right in. Um, I definitely think that Endgame is Mr. Gladly. I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. I'm pretty sure that he <laughs> is behind everything. Um, so that's teacher. my that's going to be my wait, main prediction yeah, that teacher. we're going to find wait, out. Wait, Miss, Mr. Gladly? Mr. G. Neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> yep, it was it was Mr. Wait, G. Uh, Mr. G was behind it all. Um, so spoilers. Okay. <laughs> yep, exactly. So that's I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there just to get things started. Um, definitely. When I was introduced to Taylor, just based off description and whatnot, definitely got uh, Violet vibes from The Incredibles. Hmm. The same personality and just same things going on. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can see it. Uh, Alan, what were, what were your thoughts rereading this now? Rereading this 
uh, just from a writing perspective, it reads very differently. Um, and it's a lot more rushed than I remember. Like we are jumping, you know, one chapter to next chapter. It's so fast, <laughs> especially considering like, I don't know how things stretched out in my mind. I felt like they went on for a lot longer, even at the beginning, but you know, uh, biggest thing for me, I, I really, really love the introduction of lung, mm. you know, right away. So I freaking love lung. <laughs> yeah. Great character. Uh, <laughs> Hannah, same, same type of question. Rereading this. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I, so there, there is a uh, full cast audio, uh, like audio book version of, of, Worm, and they've only recorded a couple of the first arcs, so I decided I was going to listen to it. So listening to the full cast was super cool. I that was I just loved that. That was really fun. Um, yeah, I I'm not going to lie. I, I I forgot how tough it was to to see Taylor get bullied, um, especially at school, and kind of like ju- just the the specific specifics of like her backpack getting. Uh, like stained by the grape juice is just like, ugh, kind of kills me. And like her riding on the bus going home, like just trying to get back to what yeah. she sees as her safe space. And as someone who has arachnophobia, doesn't like spiders, uh, that was not fun for me <laughs> to hear about that. And like, uh, it's very cool the way that she utilizes her swarm, but I, <laughs> anytime we get into the specifics of like, ooh, these are the spiders I use, I'm like, oh. Oh no. <laughs> but uh but yeah, no, it was it's a great first arc. Really throws you into the world, but I don't don't feel like it it throws too much at you all at once. So I feel like uh, it's a it's a great place to be back in Taylor's head again. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh Nick, your thoughts? Yeah. Um just in general uh, one of the things that I appreciate about good writing is when they, the author draws you into the character immediately. And just with the way that Worm opens, uh, we are immediately sympathetic <laughs> to Taylor and just everything that's going on with her and just the way that um, Wild Bo presents her from the beginning is, is just really touching. Um, and yet it's sort of this like duality of Taylor's strength as a hero. But when we first meet her, we see her as vulnerable. And I think that that's a really important uh, contrast there. So I really like it. Yeah. Great, great first arc. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That's, yeah, it's a really unique. But you don't really see that a lot. A lot of, or you don't see it done well a lot, I should say. All right. All right. Um, Kat, what are your initial thoughts of, of arc one? Also, along with Taylor, having not read the story before. Yeah. So initially um, I would say like the first kind of chapter wasn't really gripping for me, but um, as we started getting into the actual, like starting to see the powers and um, especially like towards the end of arc one, when we're really seeing the extent of her power, she's starting to, you know, interact with other people. Um, I really found myself not wanting to put it down. Um, and then the bullying at the beginning didn't fully take effect on me until, you know, we went into the interlude, mm. but, but I'm 
really excited to see where this oh, goes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Definitely coming back to both Kat and Taylor at the end here, just for some uh, some future predictions. Curious to see what you guys think is coming next. Um, but just kind of going chronologically through the arc. So kind of at the start, I was really curious what you guys thought. Because one thing that I really enjoyed about the way Wildbo starts Worm, uh, as opposed to not just superhero stories in general, but just kind of general storytelling, but it's more uh, more applied to kind of the superhero genre, is we don't get Taylor's, like, origin. We don't get her moment where she gets her powers, which, c- kind of going off to what you said, Nick, uh, I think it was Nick, Nick or Hannah, said how it kind of just get thrown into the world to start, uh, like a, like a, a world that's already thriving. Did that, uh, I loved it. Did, did everyone else love it? Or did you guys wish we had an origin, like a, like a traditional origin story to sort of start everything? I, I kind of love it. I, I, I loved just being able to, um, like I read through one, one, I was a little confused, but then just being able to kind of just immediately jump into something I mean, I'm not going to lie to you guys, but by like by the next chapter, I already have in my notes here. I was already like, okay, we're planning for a heel turn. <laughs> like just like I have that written down several times throughout where it's just like, oh, okay, she's getting bullied. We're getting ready for a heel turn or oh, okay. Okay. We got thought, bad guys showing up and confusing her. We're going for a heel, a heel turn. turn. What's a heel turn? I don't okay, know. Okay. So basically bad guy. She's just going to be a bad guy, but um, oh. that's a, a term yeah, for like wrestlers yeah. like WWE. Um, I mean, not that I like or don't like WWE. You know, I'm not trying to. No, 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 no. no. I would never. But, I would never give so, that up about myself. I'm curious, in in your mind, then, as a new reader, what is it that's making you feel like she's going to have a heel turn? Well, uh, definitely. I mean, we start off with the bullying, and then it's funny because you're immediately like, "Oh, this is kind of like a carry reference," and then the book itself says, "Oh no, this is <laughs> yeah. like I'm going to pull a carry," and I was like, "Okay." Um, but then, you know, she goes back to the house. She uh, she kind of decompresses, takes a shower, and is like, nope, you know what? We're we're still going to go after being a hero. And I, I, there was just something about it there to where I was like, okay, this is definitely someone who's trying to do good, um, but possibly could get pulled in the other direction just based off of that. Um, okay. But I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Not to, not to jump too far ahead, um, but did that... Do you feel like uh, you were justified in thinking that when um, later in the arc she was mistaken for a villain? Uh, a little bit. Um, okay. That definitely, definitely. What whenever she was mistaken for a villain, I was like, "Oh, okay, we're just going with this. We're just doing this early. Like she's she's a villain already." But then, uh, definitely, um, definitely after she talked with Armsmaster, which um, just to throw this out there. It is 2023. We definitely need to come up with a politically correct name for him. We can't have master in the name anymore. Uh, but arms main. Yeah, we'll talk about that during the. Yeah, like uh, arms big bedroom. But uh, we'll, yeah, when we when we get to the when we get to the script writing process of this, we'll we'll discuss that. But uh, right, right. But yeah, yeah. I I I'm still I'm still on the fence. I don't know. Um, what are you thinking, Kat? Um, I actually think that she's going to be like a bad good guy kind of like Deadpool where they're trying to do good but they're just really bad at it mm. or they do it in like the most unconventional <laughs> way 
So that's kind of how I see it where, you know, like she was trying her best in this to like help like, Oh, he's going to kill kids. Oh my God. Like, you know, I'm going to, you know, and she did a really good job fighting him, especially for obviously the amount of inexperience she has. Um, and considering how just overpoweringly, mm-hmm. you know, impressive long was with his powers. And then she finds out that they're villains and she's like, fuck, like, <laughs> you know, like I did all that. And it wasn't even for, you know, like saving people that were good. So I think she's just going to end up like kind of finding herself in that situation a lot. Like she's either just really bad at being a good guy or she just does it in a strange, unconventional way. All right. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be very interesting to see uh, Taylor and Kat's predictions as the, as the arcs go on. Pretty fun. It is something I noticed this time around was Taylor is an overwhelmingly like good and positive person in spite of everything going on around her. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which I was not, I kind of didn't remember, but now that I'm rereading, I'm like, wow, yeah, no, she puts up with a lot. And despite all that, she is still a good person. Well, it's the, it's sort of the, uh, the Peter Parker theory of superheroes too, where, part of what makes her such a good character is because you just feel mm-hmm. bad for her from the beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, you have this like with Peter Parker where it's like, man, this guy's life, it's not great. Uh, you know, his uncle dies in the beginning. Like, you know, he's a superhero. Sure. But his life's not great. And it kind of feels the same way with Taylor where it's like, yeah, she's a hero. Yeah. At what costs. Yeah. <laughs> um, what and, costs? and just opening on the bullying and all of that is just really, uh, really powerful and, and it's not like she's perfect either i feel like a lot of those like heroes there's like no way i would ever misuse my powers like she's like man i could do this i could send some bugs yeah. after them but you know they they'd track me down like we know that superpowers yeah. exist i wouldn't be able to get away with that shit yeah yeah she's like realistic about it too because too often i feel like in movies or in books you're reading a lot and you're like Oh, come on. Don't go down into the dark basement, you dummy. Like, obviously, that's where the killer's hiding. But, like, with this, she's very realistic with understanding, like, oh, if I do retaliate, it will come back to hurt me in the long run. And she's being smart about her decisions. And the the choices that she's making, everything from, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to respond this way to the bullies. I'm going to... Uh, respond this way in regards to, you know, her powers and even her swarm and how she responds to Lung um, is all very, like, it's all very smart as opposed to what I feel like often gets used as the trope of, like, the characters that are stupid or make stupid decisions and in your head you're thinking, like, oh, come on, man, like, don't do that. And so Taylor is very easy to put yourself in that space of understanding why she's making the choices that she's making. Like even there's a section when she's fighting lung where she's thinking to herself like, Oh man, I should have brought a burner phone and I didn't. And I brought, you know, my little bottle of mace my dad gave me, but I don't have a burner phone. And she's already thinking about the next time she's out. She's trying to plot Mm -hmm. out her actions and it's, it's much more, it's much more, I guess, understandable. Like, relatable 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And speaking of realistic, I wanted to get all y'all's kind of ideas on this because I haven't seen any other superhero story or anything take this route. Um, I thought the idea of like all of these heroes having their own Reddit threads, I thought it was hilarious. Like the fact that literally she's going into battle having yeah. like Googled <laughs> yes. these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. That. yeah. I, I, that, that definitely got me into the story a whole lot more than others. Cause I'm like, no, this is, this is definitely a real life thing. Yeah. yeah. Cause that, that's absolutely what people would do. Right. Like if superheroes existed, people would absolutely fanboy, fangirl, however you want to say it. Um, or, you know, people would, you know, people would be like, oh, you know, watch out for that guy. Watch out for this guy, whatever it is. Um, yeah, that's absolutely what people would do, uh, if superheroes really existed, which, yeah, I really like that little, that little tidbit of realism, like you said. Yeah. And it really sort of, uh, it really helps sort of lock it. I love the comparison you made to, um, to Peter Parker because everybody loves Peter because his whole little theme is he's just a kid from Queens. It just feels so real. It's like he. Li- it just feels like such a lived-in world, and Taylor feels just like a girl yeah. from Rock and Bay. Like, you know, she's going through all the same, yeah. all the yeah. same stuff that everybody else is going through, dealing with all the same problems that we all dealt with. And then, like Taylor said, like even the way she interacts with the the element of the story, right? Superheroes and all that kind of stuff just felt so real. Just seeing like. Yeah, chat boards and jokes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, 100% agree. It was just a, a really unique approach. Yeah, I, I really like uh, the idea of... We talked about there's no origin story here. I really like that in this story. I also really like that there's no... like Not training montage... Cause I don't like stories that don't have a training montage, but I also don't like ones that like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, look at all of this. Yeah. And in this one, it's just like, yeah. I'm jogging. Like I'm jogging. <laughs> yeah, I get up yeah, in the morning. Yeah. I, I jog. I need to be in shape if I'm going to be a superhero. And like, no matter yeah. what you do, you're not going to out, you know, muscle. Yeah, she's, she's just the forest gump of superheroes. <laughs> one day she <laughs> just got up and started yeah. running. <laughs> it's like, well, like I it's mean, the realisticness I, of like I know that I'm gonna need to be able to have some cardio capabilities here. Like you're like when she's thinking about like oh I can't jump off this building. Like no matter how many flying insects I have, like I I don't have those capabilities. Like she's realistic with herself. Knows like I need to be running. I need to be exercising. I need to be pushing myself. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um it's definitely a more realistic way of presenting it because i feel like oftentimes in fantasy and like movies that have women that are um you know the protagonists um if they're like meant to be you know they're all they're all so small and meek and so tiny but then they like spend like three weeks training um i say that with like quotations around it um so they, (laughs) they learn how to like spar a little bit and all of a sudden they're like the best fighter in the ring and that's just like not how that shit works so <laughs> i think that like she's like you know what yeah i'm gonna start preparing for this before i start going out there like she's like thinking about you know how she's going to have to prepare and it actually takes time not yeah you know, yeah definitely a few yeah. weeks in a sparring ring yeah. yeah and what does she carry around with her like she's got pepper spray and like you know, it's just 
she, she feels like she's like I should probably have like a med pack or like a first aid kit <laughs> yeah. and like pepper yeah. spray. Oh and, my gosh, she good had, on her. She had good pepper on her spray like, and chalk. Yeah, like climbers yeah. chalk. Oh my gosh, the chalk. It was so chalk. random. I never would have thought that. Like, I love that she's like, oh, I can't climb things, but maybe I can throw it at someone's face. Like, go, Taylor. Like, way to go. <laughs> like, yeah, I saw this job on discount. Let's, let's do that. Let's add that to the collection. The utility no, I, I definitely was laughing a little bit because I was like, oh, yeah, climber's chalk. That makes sense. And she's like, yeah, to use this pocket sand. And I was like, oh, <laughs> damn it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Pocket sand. Well, she, does, she does say in like her fight with Lung, she's like, you know what? I should probably have a burner phone and I should probably have a knife of some kind, like some sort of weapon to defend myself with. Should the, you know, need to yeah. rise. Yeah. But that girl, she's going in with her, her spiders and, and that's it. Yeah, I kind of like how she was like, why the hell did I bring chalk? Like, I don't need, because she, because like, her initial thought was like, oh, like, I could throw it at someone, or like, if there's someone that's invisible, I could throw it, and I'll be able to see them. That she's was like, smart. I could fucking yeah, do that, that with my yeah. bugs. Like, why am I even thinking yeah. about that? Oh, it's such a, it's such a great moment. It. I love it. Oh. In the middle of getting, like, attacked by a horrendous monster, oh I my mean, God. the image in my head was just like, Terrifying. Yeah. So I was gonna say, yeah. did did Lung stop getting powers at one point during that battle? Because it sounded no. like it just kept it just it kept, kept compounding. Yeah, let's talk about Lung for a second because I let's let, talk about I, I just I want to rant about yeah. Lung for a moment because like yeah. one thing I think I said this before. One thing I absolutely love and obsessed with when it comes to Wild Bow and with Worm is the powers that these capes have. They are so unique. And so interesting. And like Lung, I'll say like Lung isn't even like the most interesting, but he is, he's the first Mm -hmm. big cape we run into. And he's like, oh yeah, well, you you know, as Taylor says, like, oh, normally you would expect people to get weaker, but Lung only gets stronger. Oh, such a, such a great introduction Mm -hmm. uh, to not just the world, but to like, like you're saying, the types of powers immediately were hit with uh, one Taylor's power of controlling insects, not the first time we've seen it, but definitely not the first time we've seen it in any sort of like protagonist type of character. But then two, jumping into a character like Lung, like immediately this world feels so different from any other superhero story we've read because we haven't met anyone who can fly. We haven't met anyone who's just like, you know, super strong, like Superman or fast or anything like that. It's, it's, he jumps right in to nope these are going to be some different types of powers that you haven't seen before which i i loved yeah wild bow also does this thing um that both i love and also irritates me which is he will not call the thing what it is (laughs) just like they're not superheroes they're capes (laughs) which is good for like his thing you know making it unique yeah but he like will go out of his way sometimes to not say certain yeah. words. Lung <laughs> is a dragon. <laughs> and he refuses <laughs> to ever use the no, no, word no. dragon to describe him. And it is No, 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 that's not true because Taylor does Taylor does reference him as a dragon at one point. But it's very early on and it's only done once. So because I remember that being I something mean, <laughs> before, and it just irritated me to no end. I'm like, okay, the fire, the scales, the w- like, the wing things that you know allegedly come out of his back that she was reading about. Yeah. Like, he's a he becomes a dragon the more he, he goes on. 
And he just does. He just refuses to say that or, or acknowledge it. I feel like. And uh, which is so such a dichotomy because he's like, you know, there's these people with powers, you know, we call them capes, you know, definitely not superheroes. So anyway, here's a member of the Asian bad boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, OK, so gangs are a problem there, too. I just wanted to say I I went back and I did a quick word search. Alan is one hundred percent correct about ah. the dragon thing. Um, I I just I just pulled up the chapters really quick and like did a quick little word search. You know, control F, whatever. Um, the only reference to a dragon at all is the reference to the fact that Lung has um, Oriental style dragon. Oh, tattoos. that's it. All right. That's it. Oh, I'm telling you, so Alan was one hundred percent correct. It. This is this is like reading World War Z or re- watching the movies, and they refuse to call yeah, them right. zombies. Just they just oh absolutely God. refuse. Yeah. I mean, Walking Dead does yeah. the same thing. That's why they're calling zombies. It drives me up a wall. It's like we we had zombie literature well, okay. before the zo- you know walkers showed up. You can call them zombies. We're gonna call them <laughs> zombies. I mean, you're trying to be unique though, and and you know trying to set yourself apart. And like I understand the. The being like, well, everyone's calling them zombies, so we don't want to call them zombies. We're going to call them walkers or like. Like World War Z, they go out of their way to call them Zeds. (laughs) Like. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do actually kind of like like a little bit of something different, though, Um, with, uh, you know, like capes as an as a different name for superheroes. Um, Yeah, because they're not all heroes. Like if you could call, I mean, I guess you could call them supers, but like I like the I like the capes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ed, Edna Mode would be pissed, yeah. but besides <laughs> that, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Referring back to super is probably trying to avoid being too similar to the Incredibles. True, they true. Really call them supers. Yeah, they call yeah. them supers. I do have oh, a did, question you know, though. Point, um, isn't it the official? And that's just me trying to make sure I'm understanding. So officially, they're parahumans, and the slang like. Is yeah, tapes. correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. Just okay. And and with the capes thing, I like that it's not because like superhero is very or like supervillain. It's it's still it's a very like black or white option as opposed to cape, which could which could be mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. Which I kind of like because I feel and like it that, sounds like it's so common that calling them super like there's gonna be people parahumans that are more powerful than others, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, just the way that they explained it so far and that very quick, you know, where he was, the dad was watching the doctor documentary in the interlude and we got that first, you know, kind of explanation yeah. of yeah, explanation to the world, what the world is like and how this like started. And it sounds like there's a lot of people. It's not uncommon. Like there's, it's yeah. not uncommon. And um, some people are obviously going to have like the most minute powers, and then some people are going to be, like, yeah, long, you know. So yeah. it's calling them every one of them. It's like, well, now it's like normal, you know. It's normal enough to have some sort of power. So to call them super would be kind of a like all of them are not necessarily. Super, yeah, I had never I thought of that, but that is a like, really yeah. good point. Yeah. Yeah. Because if everyone's super, no one will be okay, enough Incredibles references. Okay. So, so besides long, we have night on 
Brockton Bay Book Club, how many other superhero media can we reference? And, and actually, Taylor, before before you jump in, because uh, I do want to get off along, but I do want to make a, a one comparison that I wanted to get your thoughts on between Taylor's uh, interactions with the bullies in the first arc to her fight with Lung. Because there's a lot of really unique similarities between those fights and the way she approaches them. Both being... Uh, one thing I loved about the fight with Lung is that she is 100% outclassed in every way. He's immune to the bites, he's immune to the venom, he's got fire for the bugs, and he's stronger and bigger than her. In much the same way that she felt incredibly outclassed fighting against her bullies. And in both cases, she really, she really couldn't fight them. But in one instance, she chose to anyway, and chose virtually no fear although she does sort of talk about being a little afraid for her life but not really as opposed to her fight with the bullies where she is very much on the back foot very much hiding and in fear for them and i I loved the dynamic of two pretty similar interactions in her life but one in which she eagerly pursues and one she avoids Mm -hmm. which i thought was was a unique way of framing the first arc in terms of how she approaches this world and additionally, too, to to tag onto that too, something I like about that. Now that you mentioned that, um, I like that it uh, in the first instance, like you said, um, it's similar. But in that instance, nobody comes to help her. Mm, uh, yeah. Whereas in the fight with Lung, you have mm. people who do come to help her. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I I kind of like that that subtle difference there too, where you can see her, you know, and, and in the uh, interlude with her dad, we get to see that he's worried because she's lonely and she doesn't seem to have many friends. And so we can already see, even though we find out that that group are villains, um, we can already see like, oh, there are people who are willing to help her. I uh, just have to find them. Yeah. I'm oh, in, great point. I'm interested to see if we continue to see like that. First of all, I, I predict that group. This is, they spent a lot of time describing who they are. They're, this is not the last time we're seeing them. That's my prediction there. I honestly think that like the way that like they were the first ones to show up, help her, and then Arms Master didn't show up until the fight was over, kind of feels like that's going to be a trend to me. That's a prediction that I'm going to throw out there. Like she's, you know how she was like, so back to Taylor, our Taylor. Taylor in the podcast um, <laughs> when he said that he predicted that she was going to be a bad guy. I feel like that would be something that would like push her towards quote unquote being a villain. And I, again, I don't mm. think she's going to be a villain in the sense that she wants to do bad things, but more so that she doesn't necessarily agree with the, um, what is it? Parent oh, the protectorate people. Um, Mm, yeah. The protectorate. I feel like she's going to have some sort of like discourse with the protectorate, and that's going to push her more towards those kind of people, those other teenage quote unquote villains. But I'm like, are they really villains? Like, I, it depends on what they're doing. You know, are they being teenagers that are rebellious kind of villains, or are they actually <laughs> like murdering and trying yeah. to, you know, create yeah. chaos in the world yeah which so, which brings uh, up what, what what jacob was saying where the first instance she is getting juice poured on her she's getting bullied does not reveal herself 
Is that because whenever they find out you have a certain level of powers, you're immediately brought into the wards? Is she trying to kind of keep it under wraps? Like, does she know? Um, Just by looking into Emma's eyes, I think it was either Emma or Madison, but she's like, Mm -hmm. if only they knew, which makes me think that she kind of knows what her power level is. Um, I don't know. It's it's going to be really interesting to see it to see it yeah. unfold. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. With the kind of the two scenes mirroring themselves, the idea that like she is so confident when she's wearing the mask, she is so confident when she is in her, you know, her power persona, as opposed to when she's Taylor in the stall getting juice poured on her head, like feeling so small and feeling like I can't show who I actually am or or what's going on inside of me and kind of that the two playing off of each other is just like it makes me wonder how much of that because I mean I don't I don't remember if they touch on it later or not but like how much of that is her feeling the safety of the mask as opposed to her feeling disembodied almost from herself as you know going about her daily life because of these bullies, because of how they've made her life hell, how they've made her life so difficult. And like, we, we hear it a little bit more, but like her dad, he doesn't know that her best friend has become her tormentor. Like he doesn't know that, which means he's so disconnected from Taylor's life because she hasn't shared that with him. Like how much is she closing Mm. herself off from her own life? He does suspect though. He talked about that. The fact that like Emma, I think is her name. Um, that Emma no yeah. longer hung out with Taylor and that was really shocking because they were best friends. And that's also when the bullying started. Like he knows well, he, about the incident, but says, he doesn't know it from her. Well, right. Yeah. Well, he says that he says that specifically with Emma, I th- I'm pretty sure it's Emma specifically with Emma. He makes an, his like internal thought processes that like, Oh, probably because of the bullying, she's distanced herself from Taylor when in actuality she is the, you know, the cause Mm, of the bullying. So like his, his musing of her is much more in the sense of like, Oh, she's abandoned my daughter because of the bullying, as opposed to she is the one bullying my daughter. Can we talk about the interlude and yes, her dad, Danny, I, first of all, I don't think I have ever, seen the perspective of a parent and the torment that it causes to see your child suffering in this way yeah in media i have not seen that um i know that like sometimes they'll like touch on it and movies and shows and stuff and they'll be like oh my god i'm sad that my kid's being bullied but this was such an yeah. a more personal and deep look at mm-hmm. how that feels to watch your child being tormented on a daily basis mm. to the point of yeah. being institutionalized mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm. it was very very heartbreaking to me yeah. and i was i really enjoyed that piece um not enjoyed listening to how deep the bullying was going but i enjoyed getting that perspective yeah, that insight. Um, but I just feel like I don't, you don't get that a lot. You usually get teens being bullied in school. That's a common trope, but you don't normally get their parents inter 
monologue about that. Yeah, yeah. the absolute helplessness that he he is feeling and like even the the you know the contrast of like wanting to you know bust out of the door and like yell at her for you know worrying him and being gone so late and everything but like contrast with the fact that like he just doesn't know what to do about Taylor like should I give her the space and that like conflict in himself and like he is tying himself up mm-hmm. in knots yeah and and just the fact that he is a single dad too i think that not only is that an unusual person to have in a story period but uh, especially as the the parent of your protagonist mm-hmm. um but the fact that he himself is grieving and he's you know we we feel that grief where he's like i just want to talk to her mom but i can't you know oh it just hurts like that especially um you know if you've been in any kind of long-term relationship like that that like imagining losing your significant other and having to raise a kid. It's just that, that part in particular always hurts me because I've, you know, I've, I've imagined losing my wife and what that might feel like and how horrible that would be. And so it's like, just, uh, it's very well-written, very um, full of pathos to use an (laughs) English teacher word. Um, (laughs) Go off. (laughs) But yeah, no, that, that scene in particular, I was just like, Oh, that hurt. I didn't remember him coming out of the gate swinging so hard with his yeah. interludes. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. honestly, oh my God. Yeah. what a great first. If interlude. I have to recommend yeah. Worm, one of the highlights I talk about his writing style is not even like it's that great a prose because rereading it, it's like okay, this is clearly something that's published on the web. Like it feels like yeah, it, yeah. but then you get to the interludes, and the interludes are so alien Mm -hmm. in thought that Mm -hmm. they have to be another person and you can for a lot of them especially later on i remember you don't even need to give me who the person is i can tell by the way they think which character it is because it's so unique of thought and perspective of how they see the world and what they're concerned with, like where their focus is on. And, you know, of course, with Danny, his focus is on Taylor. You could, you know, you never had to have told me who he was. And I could pick up just by, like we talked about, like, you know, just the, the, the agony he's going through watching Taylor have all this struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, that it could only be her dad. Like that's the only person it could have been. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because it's so true. Like I love, I love everything in worm and I love the first person perspective we get from Taylor throughout the entire story, but the interludes are on a different level for me. And this, we're not going to spoil anything of course, but, but going through the rest of the story, the interludes are, in terms of just writing style, like you said, on sort of another tier. And I don't know if it's just the, you know, being able to alternate between first person narrative and, and the more third person omniscient style. And that's maybe that's what's just so fresh about it. So you, I, they're more enjoyable that way. But you hit the nail on the head with the way that Wild Bow gets into these characters' motivations in the interludes opens up the world beyond 
anything else. It's and it's such a unique take on storytelling, and I just absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah, Wild Bill, can yeah. you uh, teach a writing class? Because I would love to know how to do this. I feel like any writing I do, the characters are are very singular. Like it's hard for me to switch between the you know the mindset of my characters. So like, please just uh, just teach us a writing class. I, we <laughs> yeah. love it. We'd all participate. I can't wait to get to it later because there is. I introduced somebody else to Worm pretty recently, and uh, you know they started off with you know this girl getting bullied in high school. And he was like, oh, my gosh, this is somebody who clearly has been bullied because I got bullied in high school. And this is exactly what it felt like. And then, you know, it went to uh, the, you know, the the interlude. And he went, oh, my gosh, I'm a father. And this is exactly who how it felt like this person had to have been a father mm-hmm. as well. And you can only take that so far because he's going to have a lot of perspectives that aren't possible for him mm-hmm. to have. And yet he, I feel like, nails them. He nails all of them. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Just with the somberness um, that we get from Mr. Hebert. Is it Hebert or Herbert? Herbert. Mr. Oh, I wrote. Yeah, I wrote Hebert down. Is it Herbert? But uh, just, yeah, just the somberness that we. Hebert or Hebert. Um, Okay. So, basically, it was really. I wouldn't say cool, um, but it was just really interesting to me because I'm so far off from having teenage. Like, I don't even have kids. So the fact that I would, like, have to deal with teenagers right now, but literally having, like, a human that also has their own consciousness and basically, like, him having to deal with the fact, like, okay, she doesn't want to tell me what the problem is. And I have to try and be a parent, but I also can't order her to do something, um, especially with her having dealt with, like, having to go to the the um the mental holding place um at the hospital um which I've not personally been with but personally deal with with my job it's a very um just terrible thing and then uh, just having him literally have to know that um that she's okay just because of the snack where he's like oh like obviously somebody who was you know assaulted or had something bad happen to him they mm-hmm. wouldn't make a snack. It was just so heartbreaking, you know. I, I definitely, I, I. It was an insight that I don't normally get to see. Um, that I definitely appreciated, and just a completely like as y'all said, the writing style changed, and I was like, oh, okay, this must be how he just fills us in with world building and just different information and different points of view. Yeah, that snack comment killed me. Really killed me. Like he, it like pauses everything that he does. He just stops, and like. Yeah, can smell the toast. I get, is it toast? Like smells the toast and is like, oh man, she's okay. And like that weird sense of flooding relief, but also mm-hmm. anger. Yeah, it. The way he was describing his anger issues, it was very self-aware, and like he's almost afraid of his own anger, mm-hmm. and it almost makes me wonder if there are for our perspective, unknown parahuman qualities that he has that maybe are not manifest, at least from what we know. I obviously I've only read thus far, but um, if like, if like he has some sort of like power that's related to emotions, 
um, feeling them stronger and like maybe them coming out in a different way. Um, but his anger seems like it has been like a frequent issue in his life, um, to the point of like driving his wife away. And I just, I don't know. I'm interested to see how that evolves throughout the, the story. Yeah. It's interesting to me when he's talking about how Taylor has seen his anger specifically, like how she has seen his, uh, seen that come out specifically, like when he lashes out against the, the school principal, when she gets put in the hospital, kind of like this. I mean, this is his kid. Like he will fight tooth and nail for her as best as he knows how. And then he loses his control and absolutely, absolutely tears into this principal and teacher and, Taylor seeing that having maybe not normally seen that anger come out as often because he even mentions like he tries to hide it as much as possible he's like very aware of it and like you said Kat he's like very yeah he's aware of it he like he knows it's an issue he talks about it was something his dad was a very angry person like he tries his best to you know keep a lid on it or keep control of it and it makes me wonder what he does to deal with because when when you're angry like that you can't just keep it you can't just keep it in. Like there's going to be a, an outlet that you need to have at some point and having that outlet, like, it makes me wonder like what, how he copes, how Danny copes, especially now that Taylor is like gone all the time. And like she mentions that like, he gives her the the pepper spray, like he's worried about her. He wants to make sure she's okay. And yeah, just like not knowing where to put his anger and being worried that it's going to come out at Taylor, just like it came out at her mother. And just a quick note on the pepper spray. I love that it did get used and it was, <laughs> and I, I love that. Exactly. Yes. And, but reading about the pepper <laughs> spray helpful. in the interlude after seeing it get used was kind of special too. kind of uh, some, some little vindication, mm-hmm. even though, even though Danny doesn't feel that himself, we as the readers can feel it like, uh, good on you, dad. <laughs> you got it right. She did need that. Yeah. I, I like that. Oh, do we have anything else to talk about? Well, or I is think it it's time? prediction oh, time. Do, Real quick. I was just going to say, I, I forgot that I was muted real quick before predictions. So, um, I'm the only parent in the podcast. Um, but know of. it was that we know of, right. Um, yeah, you never know. Um, but uh, you know, I've I've struggled as a parent with dealing with trying not to be like my dad or my stepdad in certain ways, and and that's really hard. And so, it, just the again, it's just impressive. I just want to say it's impressive the insight that Wildbo has um, into that feeling of. I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like this person in my life. I want to do better, but it is really a tough issue. Um, and yeah, just that, I don't know. I just thought that was really mm-hmm. good, really good insight, really good, um, really good uh, way of illustrating that feeling. I thought they did a, a good job of that. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Do we think it's weird that one of his assumptions wasn't that she was, a cape like I, I mean he's thinking about all these options of like why she might be out what's going on with her life but like never once does he think that she's you know out cape gallivanting or whatever 
Like, is that, I, does that seem weird to you guys? Cause I kind of yeah. felt like that to me, but I didn't know if that was because like, I've been reading it through Taylor's eyes and like, I've been, you know, seeing her, you know, put her swarm together and fight lung, whatever. But it felt like, and maybe this is me as an overthinker, but like my, I would, my, you know, my brain's going a mile a minute. I'm up for hours waiting for my kid to ho come home. Like one of the thoughts that crosses my mind would be she got into it with capes or she is a cape or something like that. Like when you live in a world where capes exist, like why wouldn't that be I, I, I could, mind? um, I think that while that is possible, it, it is, um, possible that that should have crossed his mind. I, I get the feeling that as a parent, there are certain things that as a parent, you think to yourself, that'll never be my kid. Like sure. Other people's kids struggle with X, but, but surely my kid would tell me if they, you know, and you, you kind of deceive, you can kind of have this, uh, too close yeah. to it that so close to it that you're blind to it kind of feeling. Um, and, and I think that might be part of what's going on mm -hmm. there with uh, her dad is that he, he just doesn't even think about it because he's like, oh, Taylor, uh, a cape. No, that's crazy. You know, like that kind of, you know, I don't know. That's just my, yeah, my, uh, my thought on it. I'm actually really curious. I'm going to look it up really quick. Um, or Michael, if you could look it up, but the percentage of like capes to, or parahumans to regular people in the population, like, I know they haven't talked about it yet. And they might eventually, but like, I'm, I don't know. I don't remember. I remember like, the number off the top of my head. If you want me to tell you. Yes. Go for it, Alan. It, of course, I believe no. it's 30,000 to one. 30,000. So it is one. rare. Okay. It is rare. It, even wow. though it's, it's only, it's kind of like, kind of like celebrities, like only so many people win the lottery or are Taylor Swift, but. Right. But we all know who they are. Okay. Yes, he is correct. And so that basically means that it's less than 1% of the population is a cape. Yeah, so it's her. it's kind of like assuming your kid doesn't feel good, so therefore they have cancer. It's probably like that same kind of Dude, I would immediately is, assume my child has cancer. I, I, I'm the overthinker. That's like, oh my gosh, we have to get this child checked out immediately. Well, but like, not like a, like a normal, like, my, oh, I have a bellyache. Oh my God, it's cancer. Like, it's <laughs> oh so God, rare. So <laughs> you're dying. Okay, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. One pair of human for every 8,000. One pair okay, for every 8,000 in, in, in urban areas specifically. No. Okay. Uh, there's okay. a distinction there between parahumans and capes because uh, this isn't a major thing, but it is revealed later that there are people with very minor powers who just kind of exist in the world and sometimes have weird little mm -hmm. things happen. Yeah. But they aren't superheroes. They're not capes. Right, right. All right. With all of that being said, I think let's get into. Uh, our kind of final chapter of the of the session. Uh, let's do some predictions. We didn't yeah. get into a few things in the chapter. We didn't get into Arms Master and the Undersiders, but there's going to be room for that in the in the following arcs for sure. Oh boy, <laughs> do I have some hot predictions? You ready for this? <laughs> no, Alan gets so. zero predictions. Alan gets zero predictions. I think it'd be fun to do do two two predictions. One. Immediate prediction, what do you think we're going to see in the next arc? And then two, your long-term prediction, just something wild that you think is going to happen <laughs> down the line in the story that you think is going to happen. So, And this is exclusively just for Taylor and Kat as the two who are uh, new to the story. So Taylor, let's, let's start with you. <laughs> okay. 
All right, well, I'll start us off. So the the prediction of how many capes for Capita, I can just cross out because now we know. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Don't get to look forward to that anymore. Sure glad no one ruined it for y'all. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Taylor. Well, this podcast was fun. I just want to... Pre- uh, no, I'm kidding. Okay, so immediate um, immediate predictions for this week specifically. Um, what is her name going to be? Um, so for, for a serious name, um, I'll put out maybe her cape name might be The Carapace. Because um, that's pretty bug-like. Um, or um, just based off the sheer amount of um, bugs and insects that she gets killed. Um, the exterminator <laughs> because she just gets them all killed. Um, and then of, of course a funny one, cause you got to throw a funny one out there. Um, uh, the women that typically chase, uh, firefighters and policemen are called badge bunnies. So I'll call her the bug bunny. Uh, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. Not to be confused with the bug bunny. It's amazing. Um, and then this, my long-term prediction <laughs> is it's not necessarily a prediction, but this is something that I'm interested about. So the Golden Man appeared on May 20th, 1982. Um, that was like the first parahuman that appeared. He first um, donned his suit in 1999. Um, and then we had the first um, suit that was killed in 1989. Um, so the reason I'm bringing that up is, do I need to worry about 9-11? <laughs> is 9-11 relevant to this universe? Do I need to forget it? And that is that is going to be my. Prediction. I want you. <laughs> no one say anything. No one gonna, say anything. That is going to be. Come on. No, no gonna, way. The whole. Can I be... tell him to circle it to underline it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I want. I want you to circle and underline that because yeah. I want so to come basically, back to that one day. As far as world building goes, are we in Iraq? Did Afghanistan happen? Nine eleven. Okay. So what are we thinking, Kat? All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear Kat's predictions. Okay. So I guess for immediate predictions, um, I'll be honest, I already accidentally spoiled her name for me. So I'm not going to spoil that for Taylor. I, it was My an accident. It was an accident. Um, it was a whoopsies. <laughs> um, <laughs> so for immediate predictions, I think that it won't take very long for her dad to figure it out. Um, I also think that she is going to see those same teens very soon. Um, And I don't know if this is a long-term or short-term prediction, but I think that she's going to make like a final decision. Like she is not joining the wards. And then for long-term, I really do think that there is going to be like the protectorate has some overarching like flaw that is they're just going to become i feel like they are going to become her like enemies and she's going to be more an anti-hero than a true hero i will tack on to that i definitely am skeptical skeptical of the wards i i definitely don't think that that's a good thing um just sounds like a way for the government to control them yeah it sounds like like just getting people and concentrating them in a certain area Never worked in a good way. So, all right. Mm. Well, thank you, uh, panel of of esteemed readers, and uh, thanks to everyone else who's listening. This has been a lot of fun. We're definitely going to keep this going. I'm pretty much going to be, I think, attempting an arc, uh, an episode here, 
So uh, look forward to discussing ARC 2 next time with the Rockton Bay Book Club, which I think is what we're calling ourselves. I like it. I think it's got a good ring to it. So, uh, Michael, you want to play us out? Arc one gestation. Oh man. Okay. This is, this is what I'm getting excited about. I love book club. Book club is great, but now we're getting into, uh, kind of honestly what started this podcast was you and I having this idea of, of trying to dissect worm in terms of adapting it for a visual medium of some kind yet to be determined. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so just so everyone else, I was going to say, just so anyone, <laughs> so because we haven't really introduced this segment in particular yet, we're kind of be going through sticking with the book, the, the same kind of reading uh, order that we're doing the book club portion in. So pretty much just talking about arc one here. We're not going to be spoiling anything. We're doing our best not to. And this is more just for you and I to remind, <laughs> remind ourselves not to spoil things, although we probably will have to be a little careful since we're definitely going to be thinking a bit long term with some of these characters. Um, but anyway, all that to say, this is going to be a more detailed dive into uh, the adaptation process, uh, for the, for, for the story. So didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. I was just going to say, we started with you hearing about adapting, uh, was it mass effect mm-hmm. yep. or visual medium? Yep. Yeah. I watched a great video, um, by, uh, lessons from the screenplay, uh, that YouTube channel fantastic channel they do a really good job of just sort of talking about uh movies in general and different different techniques and things like that and there was a great video they did a couple years ago um where they talked about what would make uh why why the mass effect video game franchise why mass effect would make uh such a great television show and they sort of compared it to game of thrones in that regard um but in that they kind of talked about how they were already sort of working on it and the, their process for it and all these different outlines that made me think like, this is exactly what we need to do with Worm because there's so much in Worm that is just ripe for visual storytelling. We're kind of in a bit of a golden age for superhero-esque settings right now. Oh, yeah. We, we, might oh, yeah. Be, we might be past it. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to tell. But obviously, if if Worm ever was adapted, we'd be years away from it at this point. So I feel like at that point we'd we'd be fresh, uh, fresh again. But yeah, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's 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 a great series that uh, you and I have talked about. Like it could be adapted to any number of things. It could be, you know, we'd be looking forward to it being adapted into something animated, which it would allow you to do mm-hmm. all of the over the top stuff, and also would just I don't know. Personally, I would love to see it in the Castlevania or the arcane mm-hmm. animation style. Yeah, very um, much so. Yeah. But also, I, I mentioned before that I think for live action, there's enough of a human element and a non-supernatural 
uh, fantastical part to it. Like the, the majority of the show could just be people in rooms talking to each other and occasionally, you know, having to CG some, some effects for superpowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, we're not going to get too bogged down into like, uh, you know, actual, uh, storyboarding scenes and animation versus live action. Um, well, not yet. I won't, I won't, I won't limit us to that. Um, but I think it is going to be really fun too, as we, as we talk through specific arcs and scenes, uh, individually, like where we think they would thrive when trying to adapt yeah. them. So uh, let's, let's start off with the big question because mm-hmm. this is a very short arc. Yeah. Is arc one just the pilot episode? Yeah, I wrestled with this a bit because on the surface, I say yes. Like it, it, it feels like a very complete episode if you're looking at it from, say, television. Um, mm-hmm. You're introduced to your main character. You're introduced to her initial struggle and conflict. Uh, you have sympathy for her. And she gets a bit of a confrontation action showdown and sort of sets up this future, you know, character arc, which is how does she sort of interject herself into this world that she's now a part of. That being said, it is very short. And I, I, it's hard to, I, I'm really against writing anything into the story at this point because worm is like 1.2 million words we really shouldn't have to write anything into it um, i think it's 1 million 650 thousand oh look at that around there yeah i was i'm sure i was short uh so uh i don't i don't think we're at the point where we want to try to write anything in like maybe you can give a few more lines to mr gladly and in, in the classroom scene or things like that um but but really we're not it's not really necessary so mm-hmm. I think, and this is where I want to get your thoughts. I think we have two options. One, well, three options, I guess. The, the first option is we just drag this out for a full episode and try to make that work. Option two is we, this is like the first half of the episode and then maybe arc two and beyond will fill that in. Or option three is the show would open with a bit of exposition in some fashion pulling mainly from that first interlude where we sort of are introduced to scion and this world of capes um i was thinking like if you were to go that route opening on the cruise liner um in the interlude Mm. you've Mm. you've, there's a story there's a couple stories uh, that people that like first met scion and i thought it'd be really interesting to start on the character um who i forget her name in the interlude but she is being interviewed because she had cancer. She was contemplating yep. just ending her life and then touches Scion, meets Scion, is rejuvenated. Her, she's cancer-free now. It's just like, this, yeah. like, uh, like a miracle moment. And I thought it'd be really interesting to start with that and sort of do a bit of exposition with all of that and then jump into the story afterwards. But I don't know. Mm. kind of want to get your thoughts on if you think that'd be too much. Okay. Of a, I th- I do think that's a a lot because there's so many there's so many uh hero stories, superhero stories that start off with that moment mm-hmm. um of like introducing 
you know, the, the first hero or the, you know, the larger than life Superman type character. Like that is the opening to the story, you know, that you circle back to later or that is just like, Oh, this is the origin of heroes. Kind of. I, I don't know about the opener, but I know 100% where you throw worm. Okay. Um, The title. Oh, okay. And that is after the bullying in the bathroom. Yeah. She's like head pounding. You know, you do the classic ringing in the ears with a big, you know, the thump, the thump, the zoom in on the head where, you know, blurry at the edges of the screen, her staring at the mirror, eyes close and then open and everything but the mirror, like the whole wall is covered in insects, except for like right around her. Mm. And that's oh, where like you that. throw worm right yeah. above the mirror. I Big do like letters. that. I like that. And then she just waves her hand and they all disperse and she walks out. Yeah, I have. I see nothing wrong with that. Where's that? I need that gift from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, chills. Yeah. Chills. Literal chills. Uh, yeah, no, that's perfect. I do like that a lot. I Thank think you. I think part of uh, because I mean you can obviously draw out the fight scene with Lung. Uh, you know you can put some. There's a lot of of time in there that we kind of read over when you're reading it as a book. But you know you can dwell on moments that they can really stretch that time. Um, but I think, and this kind of goes back to something we mentioned with the first arc is it's both it's both rushed when reading it. It's it's sort of rushed a little bit, and it is just a tad ironically slow in sort of how it introduces things and i wanted to get uh kind of thinking about the way we would adapt this i was trying to think of other pilot episodes of television shows that i've really respected and appreciated and like what they did right and how we can take that and apply it to worm so the first one which i thought was hilarious but i absolutely love it is the pilot episode for arrested development (laughs) <laughs> because mm, mm, yes because it so perfectly introduces every character and immediately you know who they are what they act like and like just their overall vibe and you get that in like a line or two of dialogue like very very quick and obviously rest of development is like 20 30 characters you would get introduced to immediately where we're only yeah. dealing with a handful but still being able to immediately sell the audience on who your character is, I think is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. I I was thinking just like, you know, uh, you know, at least in order of things, like I think, I think, you know, chapters one to, you know, one, two, I guess it is just one and two of the whole, the whole classroom sequence, Mm -hmm. the whole coming home, you know, because the big thing you have to eliminate from this is you, you know, which is most of this will be scrubbing and erasing down to the stuff that, you know, you can use is all the internal monologue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're not, we're still not need to convey the, uh, that. Right. Right. It's not a film noir detective style. Yeah. Narr- narration. Um, so like maybe that's where we end up adding stuff. Uh, but I think you can speed through 
chapters one and two before the like, you know how you have credits rolling, you know, mm-hmm. on the bottom of the screen as, you know, show right. starts up. I think you could end. Uh, I think you could end those credits finally with her going out at night. Mm, yeah, you can like kind of her, get through all of that. Yeah. She, you know, you open with her getting, you know, her, uh, you know, in class going, getting bullied. You have the worm after she's done there, her going home. The credits are rolling at the bottom while she's jogging, while she walks through like the basement and like is waving her hands. And, you know, all the spiders come out and start making the costume, her mm-hmm. browsing forums just really quick. Um you know, looking up heroes and stuff. And then, uh, and then the credits stop and she's, you know, out doing her first night in costume. And the majority of the episode ends up being the lung fight. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think the majority of the episode, of course, is the lung fight. And it's a great, cause you're introducing such a, wild over the top character like lung mm-hmm. uh, and yeah yeah I think that's a, that's mm-hmm. a great place to have it um, I think my the question would be where do you put the interlude yeah um, is that a closer or do you put that in the middle maybe of like Taylor get seen by mm-hmm. lung cut to maybe a little two minute thing of the dad at home, not really saying anything, but walking around the house, you know, mm-hmm. laying in bed, you know, the clenched fist. And yeah. Then, yep. you know, him being worried and then cut back to, you know, poor girl on fire. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is honestly probably something we're going to come back to a good bit in terms of, because I think anytime you're adapting books to television or film, you run into the exposition problem, right? Because like books, you can literally just write and spell out the exposition. And for the most part, we overlook that or, or read past it or through it because it just is part of the story. It just kind of yeah. internal monologue, whatever the case may be. We're just sort of reading it and it's, and it's needed and necessary. But in film, you can't just sit down and expose your whole, your whole plot to the audience. You're going to lose everybody. So I, yeah, we're going to come back to it, I think, pretty frequently. But I definitely think it's uh, right off the bat. We've got to... I mean, you've got to establish the setting. Uh, you've got to establish sort of the dynamic here. And I and like, I think you could do a lot of that throughout this episode. It doesn't have to be all in one place. Um, like you said, having the title crawl, or kind of, or the the title, yeah, the title, uh, uh, kind of big worm thing that you had there, right when she's kind of getting all the bugs around her. I think that's brilliant. I think that's really good. Um, I think you can throw in uh, little bits of info when she is assembling her suit as. We would mm-hmm. want it, we would want a, a scene of that of some kind. So whether we can see what's on her computer or something like that, just having little bits here and there, posters on the wall of the garage, right, of other heroes, uh, things like that, that just sort of help add to the world, sort of that everybody feels. A really obvious one, obviously, is in, in the background, 
in the water, right? We can see uh, the the uh, protectorate HQ in the force field mm. that she talks about. So like little yeah. things oh, like that yes. that are just especially sort of if she's scattered. running, you could exactly. give a a feel for the city right away because oh, yeah, that's what she does. She runs by the like right by the uh, you know the train tracks essentially. Like there's the bad yeah. side and here's the like good side and across the water is the protectorate headquarters and absolutely i mean you could even do like you don't have to get this cheesy but i mean you could even have like a cape flying over right you can just there's a lot of little ways that you can sort of set uh the scene without having to just sit down and and like the audiences aren't dumb we've seen a dozen and two superhero stories at this point so like we know how to how to put ourselves in those worlds very quickly. Yeah. And there's merchandising everywhere. Like (laughs) these people are essentially the local sports team, but I I like the idea of like the more subtle things of like, you start with class where, you know, the teacher's doing the womp, 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 as she's like focused on her book of ideas. Right. And he's talking about something. I mean, in the story, he's talking about something with heroes. So like, you just have that in the background. She gets up, she is ignoring it because that's just her life. But it is there. Like if you're an audio, if you're you know watching it, yep. you're like, oh, like, are they talking about superheroes? Like, and then, you know, you have that, you have the dad watching TV, like maybe all of the, the stuff that we talked about, you know, that's in the interlude talked about the origin of heroes is mentioned, but while he's walking around the house, mm-hmm. like you can hear it on the TV in the background, it's all said and you see the images of it, you know, in the, you know, when he's walking past the TV, but otherwise like it's, it's not focused on the focus is him worrying about Taylor coming home. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause I know for a lot of people who they, <laughs> there's a lot of people that their pet peeve with movies is television in the world, giving all the exposition Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. And, and I, you know, I agree with that. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Um, and I also love a world where you're like, you, part of the mystery is figuring out the world. Like it's not just the oh, mysteries yeah. that happen in the story. The mystery is the world itself. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And, uh, to build off of that, that's probably, Man, this is such a dangerous thing to say because I don't want to say it. But like of places where we would rewrite elements of the story, um, mm-hmm. the television exposition is a very clear one. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there where we're not, we wouldn't, that just doesn't work in film. To The television exposition scenes just, just don't work. Um, like we're already watching a screen. We don't need another screen telling us things about our story. Right. So you'd have to do that a bit differently, whether it's just sort of rewritten a bit or condensed or like you said, just kind of off in the side, not a big deal, but just sort of adding to the to the ambiance of the of the setting, you know? Yeah. Stuff like that 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 would kind of make that work a bit. Um let's go. Let's I want to talk about that lung fight a bit. Cause I think yeah. I think like you said, I think regardless of where we choose to like stake the beginning and end of the pilot episode, the long fight is, is most of that is going to be the big thing of that first episode that sort of grabs a reader's attention. Um, 
So, I, and I think it works so well because the way it's written, the way Wildbo writes long, like, like we were talking about in our previous uh, section, is so unique and it's such a fun visual element. I mean, there's so much to work with there. Like the scales on his back, uh, his like slow transformation, his voice sort of changing in terms of how he growls. Um, obviously mm, the pyrotechnics, mm. the swarm, the bug, it's just, it's a, it's a, a mastery of just like so much to pull from. And then of course at the end too, you got, uh, you got, um, bitches, dogs that come in, right? We get to see those for the first whoa, whoa, time. Whoa. Hellhound. Uh, my apologies. Right. Yeah. we got to use the protector terminology. Uh, hell, hellhounds, dogs that come in, we get to see those for the first time. Uh, and the rest of the rest of the undersiders as well. Um, yeah, so a lot to work with, a lot that kind of gets thrown out you at the end, which sort of does contrast uh, the slower, I would say, start in terms of just in terms of action pacing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, where do you where do you see? I guess let's let's look at it this way. After the fight ends, where do you see the episode ending? Post fight. I think, I think when he, she comes home, you know, after all of this, she sneaks to the door. She makes herself, you know, the 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 toast. Mm-hmm. The dad hears her eating in there, knows that she's okay. He takes like a sigh of relief, but you can tell that he's still tense. Mm-hmm. And she, meanwhile, she goes upstairs, and despite having like singed hair clearly beaten up dirty she sits there with her toast like in her mouth like laying on her bed or whatever mm-hmm. and fucking just like smiles and like maybe even like laughs a little yeah just like a, yeah and that's yeah. where you that's where you cut it i'm gonna add something to that but i'm gonna save it for next time because it does incorporate a little bit of just the very next chapter um mm. Mm. But I, I I love that imagery that that you have there to the way to end it. Yeah, uh, but we'll come um, kind of come back to that. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about because I know what a great uh, an ellipses, if you will, from where we started, <laughs> where you end. <laughs> Wait, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, because uh, I I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Uh, okay, <laughs> we're on the same page. All right, we'll come yep. back to that. We'll come back to that. Um, yeah. All right. Well, now, okay, we've got a little bit of a beginning, got a little bit of an end. Like I said, I definitely think pilot episodes in, in particular are pretty tricky because they really need to grab the audience. So I, I have a feeling we're going to come back to this a little bit, probably in terms of like maybe we have ideas of, of things you want to kind of foreshadow in the beginning or things like that, you know. Uh, so we'll probably kind of revisit that. Um, yeah. Uh, w- one thing formatting wise was, uh, you know, is this is this way we're casting is this for 30 minute cut or is this for 50 minute cut yeah that's a great question i think the best way to go about screenwriting is to is to abandon any idea of of episode length and instead mm. make sure that each episode is containing individual arcs within them so that you are telling the story that needs to be told and not one that's confined to any any amount of time. Um, okay. when, so a, a lot of stage plays uh, are often directed um, from what are called French scenes, which are uh, a French scene is when 
uh, the scene is not divided between when like the lights come down or go up, but when a character enters and then leaves the scene, it's called a French scene. Mm. And I love that way of, of visualizing stories because it breaks the story down, not in terms of like the actual scene you're looking at, but the character in that scene, which I think is the most important element of a story. And Wild Boat does that so well. So as opposed to thinking about like, Mm. okay, we need to do like a 30-minute episode or a 50-minute episode or a one-hour episode or whatever the case may be, instead thinking about like, okay, do we tell this character's story in this episode effectively? So like, I think ending the way you said to end Taylor's little arc in that story, a little smirk, a little something like that, a little bit of satisfaction is a is a fantastic arc for her character given from where she starts at the beginning of the episode where she's on the opposite end of that and in the same way the we can get a little bit of like lung's character right so lung has a bit of an arc too he starts from a position of power and ends uh captured <laughs> so right yeah. so you, you're telling these little these little mini complete stories so whatever that episode length ends up being once you've told that story now you're good you, mm. you're done so then you move on from there yeah, because um, I'm one for efficiency, so I, I would like, oh, yeah, honestly, 30 minutes, easy for this. Like, yeah. there's not a whole lot of complexity of this. I love yeah. visual storytelling rather than, like, the exposition being said out loud. So, like, I would do all the expositing while they're walking from, like, scene to scene. Right. And then they're done. Like, Right. Which, for some of this, is like, oh, that's an entire arc. Or not an entire arc. That's like entirety of chapter two. Like you can, <laughs> right. I can do the entirety of chapter two, 20 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're going to get a lot of that too, as we go on, like we were talking arc one, pretty short, maybe the shortest arc. I think they only get longer. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> but then, and as they do get longer, we're going to, we're going to have those issues where we can't fit entire arcs into an episode. And then we're going to have it. We're going to have moments where we're probably like, all right, this entire arc, can probably cut it like we just need to cut oh, this yeah. entire arc I, I, my future prediction i think there are only going to be like two arcs that we can cut entirely mm-hmm. and i think there's going to be the odd episode that is just a full episode yeah yeah oh for sure which makes things tough <laughs> yeah yeah it does but also exciting and that's why we're here um mm-hmm. Also, I think we'll probably we'll probably work on this a bit off podcast uh, and maybe kind of update podcast as we go. But we're not really talking about like actually writing the dialogue out. But I would love to do that. But but that's way too tedious for uh, an audio podcast. But definitely something oh, I think yeah. that'd be fun to work on. And then oh, sort no, of you and me update you and me. Well, that's what I say. We're going to, after this, like we have like a Google Doc or something. Yeah, yeah. Most of it isn't adding dialogue. It's scrubbing all the description. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be the majority of it. And then what we're left with is our story, pretty much. And hats off to Wild Bo for writing such, one, such good dialogue. I think we didn't really Mm. mention that, but his dialogue really doesn't need to be adjusted at all. Um, And it's going to be really easy to sort of just translate to film um and then too the first person narrative does give us a really great way to uh just like set scenes it does a really good job of sorting 
setting the scene. So it's it's really not too difficult. He, he made that he made it I'm not going to say easy, but uh, but he made it exciting. So mm-hmm. well, yeah. that's all I've got. Uh, did you have yeah, any? I think it was pretty good. Any final thoughts? Well, if that's it, I can close this out here. Thank you so much for listening. Read along with us at parahumans.wordpress.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. What did you love? What did you hate? Anything you think we missed, etc., as long as it's kind. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter, Threads, Instagram, TikTok, and Reddit at Brockton Bay BC or click the link in the description. 